We will remain standing for the reading of God's Word on, on which this sermon is based. We're going to read from John chapter 6, verse 25 through to 29. Here's the Word of God. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the word of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Please be seated, the word of the Lord. Friends, if you have uh, lived long enough in Australia, you will know that there are 11 different types of apples in Australia. See which one of these is your favorite. Jonathan. Yes, there's an apple called Jonathan. Uh, Royal Gala. Golden Delicious. Red Delicious. Jonah Gold. Fuji. Brayburn. Pink Lady. Granny Smith. Jazz. Yes, there's an apple called Jazz. And my favorite is Envy, by the way. I think it's the sweetest, the most crisp apple you can get uh, in the market. And we all have to eat apples. That's what the doctors always say to us. You have heard before, right? An apple a day keeps the doctor away. And when... Turn it into apple pie, apple cider, or anything in between. But you know, there's a sad side to all that. Because apples, they don't last forever. They spoil. There are worms that can get into them. And when that happens, there's nothing can be done other than throwing them away. When Jesus tells the people not to work for the food that spoils. He is rebuking the crowd for their purely materialistic notions of the kingdom. So friends, we have looked at this um, chapter from John, chapter 6, for three times now. And I thought we can move to uh, chapter 7 and 8 and so on. But I thought there's one thing that keeps bugging me, and I thought I have to stop and discuss verses 25 to 29, because I think there's something in there about um, how we do our work. So this is a sermon about how the gospel will transform our work. If you work as professionals, as business owners, as startup um, um, entrepreneur, this is a sermon for you. If you plan to work uh, one of these days, um, after you graduate from uni, this is a sermon uh, for you. So if you look at verse 26, it says, You are seeking me, said Jesus, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. So in, in their minds, in the minds of the crowd, Jesus 
is the goose that lays the golden eggs. Jesus is the cash cow. Jesus is the guy who will fulfill my dreams, my needs. These crowds were like the uh, woman at the well, you remember um, John chapter 4, who was eager to be supplied with an endless supply of natural water, a supply that would eliminate the need to make frequent trips to the well, so that these people as well seek after this miracle worker named Jesus who will fill their stomach with bread every single day without they even have to try. But what, what can we learn from, from these uh, few verses? I'm going to discuss these verses under three headings. The first one is what Jesus did not say. And the second heading is what Jesus did say. And the third one, how it changes us. So it's a simple subheadings. What Jesus did not say, what Jesus actually said, and how it changes us. Let's look at the first one, what Jesus did not say. In the next, uh, um, or this one here, actually, this correct slide. Jesus did not say that you need to work for your eternal salvation. He did not say that. When Jesus said in verse 27, do not work for the food, in the next slide, that perishes for the, but for the food that endures to eternal life, it does not mean that we must work to obtain the eternal life. Because note that the next clause said, which the Son of Man will give to you. So the eternal life will be given to you. You cannot work for gifts, right? Gifts are meant to be given without you even trying. Because otherwise, it won't be called gifts. It will be called salaries. It will be called um, something that you obtain because of your efforts. But these are free gifts, you see, the crowd think that they need to work to get eternal life, and we know what they have in mind in verse 28. Because they were asking, Jesus, what must we do to be doing the works, plural, the works of God? In other words, what do we have to do to be able to, to uh, engage in the works that God requires, because in their minds, they think that God requires them to do a number of things to be saved. So the Jewish leaders during Jesus' day had stipulated that there were 613 commandments. Let me repeat that again. 613, 613 commandments extracted from the Old Testament. 248 of them are positive. 365 are negative. This was and still is the world's longest do and don'ts list. You know, we always do uh, a list of what uh, the, are the things that we need to do and do not do, but these are the world's longest. 613 items are on it. And these stipulations, they drown people in helplessness and hopelessness with these works. The harder they try to work them out in their lives, the more their lives are dominated by a higher level of fear and guilt. But look at Jesus' answer in verse 29. This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. There is only one work that is needed, singular, not plural, only one thing, 
That is to believe. And we know in the Gospel of John, to believe is to respond to Christ in faith and repentance. So the work of God is not so much an effort of our will, but it is a humble surrender of our will. It's not so much using our will to be able to please God and obey Him, but it's actually to surrender our will and believe and trust in Him. And this was possible because the food that endures to eternal life is actually Jesus Himself. He is the bread of life, the bread from heaven that has been broken so that you and I, we can be made whole. So if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. That's how the Apostle Paul echoed what Jesus said here in the letter to the Romans. And he kept pounding the same truth that you cannot work for eternal salvation repeatedly in many places in his letters. To the Ephesians, for example, uh, he wrote, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works. See, friends, you cannot work for eternal salvation of yours. That's uh, what Jesus made very clear here. The second thing that Jesus did not say in the next slide, he did not say that you don't need to work. So whatever you're doing now in the world, just quit your job. That's not what he said, unfortunately, right? No, uh, because the reality is even the food that we eat the food that will perish, we still need that food to sustain our body. Therefore, we need to work. Therefore, we need to earn our salaries to, and use it to buy the food that will perish. Not only food, but other essentials like gas, electricity, petrol, insurance, mortgage, internet, paying rates and taxes and entertainment, etc. Work itself is something that's actually positive. I always ask my students at uni, do you live to work or work to live? And then we discuss for half an hour which one is correct. But work itself was actually commanded by God even before the fall, before Genesis 3 when the fall took place in humanity. That's why Paul was so adamant saying to the people in Thessalonica, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. That can be very um, numbingly clear for a lot of us. If, you, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. What this implies is that something that has been true since the day of Jesus until today. The only way to eat the bread that perishes is to work for it. In fact, we work so that we can be actually missional, to be able to help other peoples in need, to support the work of the Lord in this church and in other means and places. Paul says in Ephesians 4:28, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor. 
doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So not only we are supplying our own needs to buy food and other things, but we also help those who are in need. So Jesus did not say that we have to quit our jobs. So what then did he say? Let, let's look at the second um, point, what Jesus actually said. Well, this is what Jesus actually said. Um, if you can read that, if you eat Jesus, the bread of life, the bread from heaven, your soul will not starve for, for money, wealth, assets, investment, etc. See, men and women sh should pour their energy into pursuing food that endures to eternal life. That's what he's saying. And Jesus made, uh, made it very clear that the food is Jesus himself. So basically, he's saying that if we have Jesus, the bread of life, we're going to work for him and not for those things that the world offers. You see, friends, uh, a lot of people who are working, when, if, if we are honest with ourselves and if people ask you, what, what uh, are you working for? What's the purpose of waking up in the morning on Monday and then go to your work for eight, nine, ten hours a day and then repeat the process the next day and the next day for years after, uh, uh, years, after years? Because we want to be able if you're honest, with the money we do not have to impress people that we do not like. How many of you can say amen to that? We buy things that we do not need with the money that we do not have to impress people that we do not like. That's basically why I'm working hard. Pete said, isn't it? But Here's the good news. If you have consumed Jesus, if you have feed on him, the bread of life, the goal of your work will change radically. If you eat Jesus, the bread of life, then your soul will not starve for all those things that will perish. Now, let me explain how I come to that conclusion because that was the conclusion. Here's the link between working for Jesus, not for money, and eating Jesus, because John 6 is about Jesus, the bread of life, and he said uh, in verse 29, providing the question, how do you labor for the food that endures to eternal life? How do you work for non-perishable food? And Jesus said, 29, this is the work of God that believe in him whom he has sent. And Jesus, the bread of life, also said in verse 53, that's uh, um, something that you can see on the next slide. Verse 53, he said, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. See, that sounded like cannibalism, right? That's why the crowd was shocked. And I mean, the modern people today, when they read something like this from Jesus' mouth, they thought, who is this man? Cannibals eating his flesh and drink his blood. No wonder a lot of modern people push back. But what he really meant when he combined 
believing and eating. Here is what it means. For Jesus, eating is believing. For Jesus, drinking is believing. Believing what? Believe that his death, the breaking of his body on the cross, the spilling of his blood on the cross, that pays in full the penalty of our sins. Jesus received the penalty of our sins and we get the reward of his righteousness. Believing this is how we eat Jesus, how we drink his blood. So if you eat Jesus, and not just once when you trust in him for the very first time, but if you keep feeding on him every single day through word and prayer, your soul will be satisfied yet again. So you no longer work to pursue treasure because Jesus now becomes the treasure that you already have got in your heart. He is the most precious one. Worthy a million times more than money and what money can buy. And note, friends, that you have got this most valuable treasure without even trying. You see, with other treasure, you will be working until you reach the level of depletion, even burnout. A lot of young people today, they try to be a million, millionaire before they reach the age of 30. But because money is an idol, and that's how idols work, it will demand that you die trying to get it. Jesus is completely different. He is the only treasure that pursued you and died for you so that now your life is no longer consumed by greed towards money and wealth. Instead, you are empowered to pursue something other than wealth. Money is still important, but only as a tool, not as an idol. Money will be your servant, but never your master. I don't know if you have heard the story of a rich man who have worked so hard in his life to be a billionaire, not just a millionaire, millionaire but a billionaire. And he converted his wealth into pure gold bars and put them into the largest carry-on bags he can find. You know why? Because he's getting old, he's um, terminally ill, and he wanted to bring with him all this wealth that he accumulated on all his life when he dies. So one day he died, he shows up at the gates of heaven and greeted by St. Peter and Peter saw the suitcase and said, hold on, you cannot bring a suitcase in here. And then the rich man said, can you check with your supervisor, i.e. God, to see if he can make just this one exception? So Peter checked with God and came back saying, you're allowed one carry-on bag. Sounds like a Jetstar uh, flight attendant. But I need to check its content before letting you through. So Peter opened the suitcase, and he is so perplexed, he's so confused, and asked the rich man, why do you bring pavement? Because the streets in the new heaven and new earth will be made of gold. So the point of the story is, it's just so obnoxious, it's just so silly to accumulate all these things on earth and 
you can't bring them with you. So friends, if you eat Jesus, the goal of your work will be radically changed. The second thing that Jesus said on the next slide, how we do our work will also be changed. You are now free from the suffocating effects of tying your life to the pursuit of wealth. You are free from the suffocating effects of tying your life to the pursuit of wealth. If you're a professional, if you're currently working, you are anxious about whether or not what you are making today will be sufficient for your future. Should I do more? Should I apply for another job? Should I get a second job? Should I get a sidekick? to supplement my income? Should I find a passive income? See, if these things occupy our minds day and night, every single day, then obviously you're going to feel anxious. If you're a business owner, if you're successful in your business, typically you're going to be tempted to be arrogant. This is all me. You know, five people who are most important in our lives, I, me, my, mine, myself, right? So if you're successful, you're going to be arrogant. But if you are failing in your business, you think you're going to be a total loser. You see, work, therefore, becomes the foundation of our identity. I supervise PhD students at uni, and one of my PhD students is an emergency department doctor out of uh, Austin Hospital. One of my uh, brightest students, actually, because he is doing uh, his PhD with me as his second doctorate. Now, his research topic is born out of his observation and experience every day at the emergency department, that each of the team members experience what is called identity threat. Identity threat on a daily basis. Why? Because of the nature of the emergency medical team. Now, I just learned from, from my student and apparently in emergency department, if you're a doctor, if you're an emergency physician, you work with different individuals every single day. You work with paramedics. If you come through, uh, to, uh, uh, through an ambulance, you work with tri tri triage uh, nurse, you work with other doctors, you work with registrars, you work with hospital medical officers, you work with interns, you work with different individuals on a daily basis. Now, if you work with your colleagues and the same colleagues every day, that's complicated enough, right, at work. But for emergency department doctors, they have to work with different people every day. That makes it super complicated. And that's why leader competence is continually undermined through questioning of their expertise. And that's why they experience identity threat. They have this sense of misfit. They have this sense of, Am I an, an imposter? There's an imposter syndrome that they experience on a daily basis. They, they do self-blame, they do self-doubt, and they experience burnout. See, these things are very true where we are now in our work. There's an identity threat that, that happens to us on a daily basis. But if you have Jesus, the bread of life, How you work suddenly changes because you've got this most important treasure in your life 
and you don't really care anymore about what people think of you. The opinion of your boss is no longer the ultimate voice that will fluctuate your joy up and down. The most important voice in your lives is not that of your boss, not that of your wife or husband or mother-in-law. The most important voice is not even your own voice. But the most important voice now is the voice of Jesus who said, this is my body which is given for you. Take it in remembrance of me. Because Jesus has given up his life for us and that becomes your treasure. You don't really care about what people think of you anymore and that identity threat is gone. So how you do work is completely different now. There's no fear, there's no guilt, there's no identity threat. You have joy knowing that he's there for you every single day on your side and he'll be there until you see him when he comes back for us. So the last point, how it changes us. Well, friends, uh, the bread of life, when Jesus said, I'm the bread of life, that is actually a great picture of the gospel. What is the gospel? When we keep pounding this thing every week from the pulpit here so that we are reminded every week, the gospel is the good news that God renews all creation, including you and I. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what the gospel is all about. So when Jesus said, I'm the bread of life, he said, I am God made breakable for you. So in order bread to do any good for our body, it has to be broken. Your teeth have to break it in pieces and chew it up. And Jesus would be broken for us so that he could feed us every day. If it's not broken, it's not going to help you a bit. So that's why he said, the bread that I will give you for the life of the world is my flesh in verse 51. He took the punishment we deserve to receive and by his stripes we are healed. He was crushed like the bread so that you and I can be made whole. See, what does the gospel do to us? How it changes us? It gives us eternal perspective. You see, when Jesus said, Believe in me and you will have eternal life. That, that eternal life will give us eternal perspective. There's a writer whom I admire. His name is Cornelius Platinga. He wrote this in his book, Engaging God's Soul. Don't know if you can read that on the slide. It says, when it's widest and longest biblical hope looks forward towards a whole new heaven and new earth in which the death and mourning and pain will have passed away. Revelations 21, 1 and 4. And in which the Son of God receives the treasure of nations who prayed into the city of God. See, what we do on this side of heaven, in the name of Christ, truly matter. Whether you are a bus driver or accountant or teacher or whatever you are doing, they will be part of the treasures of nation in the new Jerusalem. The more we 
occupy our minds with this future vision of the gospel, the more we are encouraged to work wholeheartedly for the Lord in this side of heaven. And then we completely affirm that every occupation, every profession that you have, when you offer it as a sacrifice to God, it will be a holy and pure sacrifice. Doesn't matter what your profession is. Even if you are a homemaker in a non-paid job, if you are a fallen, in a voluntary capacity, that is also a holy and pure sacrifice. So work no longer serves as a necessary evil for survival. Work is no longer a strategy for self-actualization. Platform for evangelism only. But rather, work becomes a thoughtful engagement for God's peace, God's shalom to penetrate to this vandalized world as it is being restored in Christ. See, the meaning of work is therefore radically transformed. And we would prayerfully and wisely choose the type of profession, the type of industry, the type of organizations we'll be working in. The prospect of money and status and power no longer becomes a decisive factor. Instead, it's just a matter of a strategic choice. It's a choice that we make because we want to contribute the most to the world-renewing agenda of God, that, that new heaven and new earth. In the words of uh, Nicholas Walterstorff, he said this, and it's a beautiful statement. It's not on the slide, but let me read it uh, for you. If each of us is to reshape our occupation into a channel of obedience, if each of us is to reshape our occupation into a channel of obedience, then presumably each one of us must also search for that occupation which will best serve as a channel of obedience. So you don't choose your job carelessly, but thoughtfully. How can I best contribute to this agenda of God's renewing the world? Maybe you are a team leader in a small startup or in a global conglomerate group, but that would be a thoughtful and spiritual sacrifice to God because a career turned towards this world with God behind your back is not inferior to a career toward God. So if you're an accountant, your career is just as holy and pure as the work of a minister, a full-time ordained minister. That's how the gospel transforms work. And the last thing that I want to share with you how the gospel transforms work is, is on, on the next slide. The gospel will turn us into the most optimistic and yet pessimistic individual at the same time. Why we become the most optimistic person? Because if we believe that one day God will renew this material world and wipe every single tear away from our eyes, we'll be the most optimistic person in the world. No more cancer, depression, malnourished children, human trafficking, racism, bullying, religious conflicts, because justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. That vantage point, that eschatological vision is what makes us 
very optimistic person. As we serve God in this world, changing the world system, culture, and structure, what keeps us going when the going gets tough is the certainty of the end of history when Christ returns and reclaims what rightfully he is. So that's why we excel in our work. How do we excel in our work? Well, Martin Luther said, if you are a shoemaker and you want to be a good Christian shoemaker, what you do is not putting little crosses on every single shoes. That's not what you do. But you make the best quality shoes possible. If you want to be a good Christian pilot, what do you do? You don't make an announcement and said, for God so loved the world, ladies and gentlemen, fasten your seatbelt, that he gave his only begotten son. That's not what you do. If you're a good Christian pilot, you land the plane safely. That's what you do. See, because of this, we become a worker who tries to excel in our work every single day because we know that our work will contribute. I'm the most optimistic individual. And yet, on the other hand, we're going to be the most pessimistic individual. Why? Because no matter how hard we try to fight poverty and corruption or achieve any of the United Nations 17 Sustainable Development Goals, each progress that we make will be slow and will be so frustrating. Each progress will be followed by a regress. And the more we understand how deep the rabbit hole goes, the more we are ready to embrace the fact that all the good that I've been doing for years might be undone by someone in the blink of an eye. That's the nature of progress in this world, tainted by sins. So we know, that on the other hand, we're going to be very pessimistic individual because of the gospel, because of the reality of, of sin. And yet we're going to be pessimistic because we know what the end would look like. So friends, my question this morning, do you know that bread of life? Have you fed on him? Have you tasted his goodness? Because if you have, that will completely change not only your uh, work here uh, in this world. Yes, an apple a day will keep the doctor away, but Jesus, the bread of life, will keep sin and death away forever. And may God strengthen our faith in His Son that our hearts will cry with the crowd, Sir, give us this bread always. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. 